Hi, and welcome to Unlimited, the podcast platform that gives voice to remarkable mothers and women from the Arab world to inspire, engage, and drive growth. In Unlimited Perspective series, we welcome inspiring women and mothers who embrace life with innovative perspectives and whose missions and achievements are making a mark. On the line with us today is Dr. Alamira Rimalashimi from Abu Dhabi. Alamira Rimalashimi is not only a urbanist, architect, and historian, She's the first Emirati woman to be awarded a PhD in urban planning, and she's the author of Planning Abu Dhabi, the first urban history book of Abu Dhabi. Dr. Alamir Rahim is actively engaged on a strategic level with government initiative and is currently cultural advisor at the UAE Ministry of Culture and Knowledge Development, managing the UAE Architecture Project. On top of everything, Alamira Rahim is a loving daughter and mother and co-founded with her husband a creative consultancy studio, The Native Bohemians. Interviewing Alamira Rim today for Unlimited is Bolutiwia Yishimoju. MBA graduated and former corporate high executive between Paris and Dubai, Bolutiwi is an executive coach, life coach and health coach from the most prestigious institutes across the world and we're honored to have her as our host and contributor for Unlimited. It's my pleasure to now pass the mic on to this powerful duo of inspiring women. Sarima, it's great to have you on the Unlimited podcast today. You're a source of inspiration to so many people. Thank you so much for making the time to share your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so pleased to be here. So you happen to have a PhD in urban planning and are the first Emirati woman to claim such a title and achievement. How did you come to follow this path? I studied architecture as an undergrad when I moved to Berkeley, California in 2002. And while I was in that program, I took a couple of courses in urban studies, which opened up my mind about how cities work. Um, It was just so fascinating. So I decided when I was going to pursue my master's that I would focus on urban planning which at the time wasn't really a very well-known profession in my country, the UAE, or in the community. Um, And while I was in grad school, um, I did an internship because I'm a nerd like that. When I came home for the summer, (laughs) instead of hanging out with my friends, I was like, I'm going to do some work. So I went to do an internship at what was just starting out to be uh, the Abu Dhabi Urban Planning Council, And I was one of the first eight people in the office. So I was, you know, I was opening boxes and sort of getting the office together and filing things. And while I was doing that, I was seeing all of these um, projects being submitted. uh, And I was thinking to myself, what, you know, how does this work? Like how, okay, now we have a newly established urban planning council, but before this, how were developments being put forward and what was the what was the system of planning really like in Abu Dhabi? I was really interested. And I asked to sit at the table and I was looking at um, you know, I was watching developers pitch, you know, their 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 projects, and I was privy to a lot of those pre- presentations. And I realized like I'm actually watching history in the making. That coupled with my questioning of how things worked in the past, I decided that I wanted to actually take this on and um, write about it or do the research. Nothing like that really existed when I was digging. Um, And I thought, okay, 
best opportunity would be to pursue a PhD that would help me gain a greater understanding of many aspects of urban planning and design and governance. And I wanted to write a book, which is like, oh, it's always been a life dream for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. But Mm -hmm. I realized there's so much more to my story that links to my childhood. Um, I really do believe that we're always in, you know, we're always in the act of creating our life. Um, every decision, every thought, you know, leads us to one of a number of infinite possibilities of the way our lives play out. So when I think about how I set off on this path, on this path, sorry, I, mm-hmm. I go back to my childhood and I have memories of visiting my grandfather when I was a child um, and I'd leave the adults to do their boring talk and I'd go sit in his mm-hmm. home off his home office and mm-hmm. it was just such an inspiring place with floor to ceiling bookshelves and he was always writing and I'd see drafts of his stuff like lying around and his notes in the columns of books and it was just so inspiring um I remember you know in the second grade I was teased because I used to carry around a little notebook where mm-hmm. I would um write down vocab words like words I didn't understand when I was reading and I'd look them up and I'd you know understand their definition and then I'd start using them in conversation with friends (laughs) I was in second grade Um, so I absolutely love words and I love the idea that words you know when you write like you can write in such a poetic way Um, it's always been something I've been fascinated by Um, I remember when my father used to take us um, when we were kids my sister and I uh, there used to this cruise ship used to come and dock in Abu Dhabi every now and then, and it was filled with books. And we'd go and just, you know, buy as many books as we possibly can that we normally wouldn't find, uh, you know, at home. And then I think even more um, something that was a lot more impactful was we started traveling to California every summer uh, since I was ten years old. And my mother is a shopaholic. I sadly or not sadly, I don't know, did not inherit that gene. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So so what I would do is I would leave her, you know, just like I used to leave them talking and go sit in my grandfather's office. Mm -hmm. I used to leave them and go with my sister and we would sit in the bookshop Mm -hmm. and they would come back after her and my father, after they shopped, they'd come back and find that I had finished a book (laughs) while I was at Mm -hmm. the bookshop. I'd come home from summer, uh, from the summer trip with a suitcase filled with books. Um, and even in my teenage years, like I was wildly insecure as much as most teenagers probably are. Uh, mm-hmm. But I was really introverted, highly sensitive, um, a little bit bullied. I ended up hanging out with the cool kids and still, mm-hmm. you know, that felt disconnected from my true self. I realize this now as an adult. Um, So, and I was constantly struggling with anxiety, which was also something we didn't really understand much back in those days. Um, So I guess my coping strategy, I'm not really sure if I'd call it that or how I'd talk about it, but, you know, obviously I was pushing, putting a lot of pressure on myself, but I decided to focus on being the smart kid or Mm -hmm. the smart and cool kid <laughs> mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. um and I it, it I felt empowered by it um I felt really deeply that seeking knowledge was the most noble act um it, it, I really felt empowered by it 
Also, my summers in California made me realize that there was so much more out there to learn um, outside of my cocoon and in Abu Dhabi. Um, and I was convinced that we should spend our time on earth opening up our mind. And that's exactly what I did. I, I treated everything as a lesson. Um, I think there was like a little old soul in me somewhere. Um, yes. Yeah. So I think a part of me always knew I would go to the greatest lengths to educate myself, whether I, by traveling or learning about other cultures or reading or even getting a PhD. So, yeah, I think it was meant to be all the time. You definitely um, have come a long way. And I just love the way you shared that. I mean, it's funny you talked about not getting the shopaholic gene <laughs> I also you'd never find me going on a shopping spree and spending hours I just get so bored and tired but I would happily go to a bookshop and get lost in there so I totally understand and I really love what you said about using being smart and being cool as a form of protection Mm. Um, so one could say it's an anchor one could say it's an armor anyway but what's interesting is it has served you because you have gone to great lengths to educate yourself to grow and I'm sure today many can be very inspired by what you've done especially as a woman um, you seem to have a track record of first you also wrote the first urban history book of Abu Dhabi <laughs> so why did you write this book about Abu Dhabi um why did you feel it was important to tell the story after having lived in California for so many years and then coming back to your roots? Uh, so just going back to that internship that I mentioned at the beginning of mm -hmm. this conversation and how mm -hmm. I was witnessing uh, history in the making. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, as I said, it quickly became clear to me that there was a unique planning history to unearth and you know, Bolivia's built environment didn't, it could not have just originated in a vacuum. Um, mm. So the book essentially was uh, a historic or is a historical account. It goes deep into the inner workings of the planning system, the leadership's visions and approaches, uh, politics, the political economy, architecture, design in the city. And I hope that by writing um, the urban history of Abu Dhabi, that the national and even international community could learn about how all of the um, interplay of all of these things together created the Abu Dhabi that we know today. Um, I'm also really personally connected to this story, I would say, because as an Emirati or as someone who grew up in Abu Dhabi, my family lived in one of the oldest residential areas in Abu Dhabi along the city's main waterfront, the Corniche. And this compound was actually built by um, what once used to be Abu Dhabi Petroleum Company or the Petroleum Development uh, Trishal Coast, a subsidiary of Iraq Petroleum uh, that was working on oil production in Abu Dhabi back in the day. Um, it is now Adnock Onshore. I don't know, it's changed names so many times, but now it's Adnock Onshore. Um, and, you know, I, I, I talk about how I used to watch the city sort of growing from my bedroom window. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so it was really important for me to write the book. I mean, it's among a growing number of books that are an urban history, um, you know, of an Arab Gulf city. And what excites me is that I'm seeing a renewed interest in architecture and urbanism in the region. 
um, it feels like there was a lull at some time, at some point, but now we're seeing more writings come out of the region. Um, I like to call it sort of a, re a renaissance or a reawakening. <laughs> it's really exciting. Um, and I hope that my book will pave the way for other researchers to continue to contribute to the, I guess, the little empirical and academic literature that we have on the country and for decision makers and policy makers and planners and designers to invest in research that could inform and improve practice. That's something I'm really passionate about. And honestly, I just wish you all the best in this endeavor because I um, I love language. You know, I believe that if you don't understand a person's language, you really can never understand them. I have no architectural background, I can assure you, but I'm sensitive to architecture and to design. And I truly believe that the way a city is constructed will so affect the people that it is probably not possible to really understand that people without also understanding the environment. Would you agree with me there? Um, I absolutely do. And I actually, as you were saying this, I wanted to pull up something. Um, mm. There is a quote that I love by a, by an, a famous architect, Christopher Alexander. And he says, there is a myth, sometimes widespread, that a person need only do inner work, that a man is entirely responsible for his own problems and that to cure himself, he need only change himself. The fact is, a person is so informed, is so formed by his surroundings that his state of harmony depends on his harmony with his surroundings. So, I mean, it, I I agree with his what he's written to some extent. I mean, obviously, we know uh, that we have to do the work on ourselves, but definitely there is some impact that that the environment has or an influence that it has on people's behavior. And I think it's really important for us to understand as, as people who are designing or planning cities to understand the users and understand how uh, users are affected uh, by space and how space should, um, I guess, reflect their needs. Now, let's speak about your current roles and projects. Um, what's your role working with the Ministry of Culture and Knowledge and development, what, what what does that involve, really? So uh, I advise the Assistant Undersecretary of the Arts and Heritage Sector on research mm -hmm. strategy and implementation of cultural initiatives that are related to architecture and urbanism in the UAE. I'd say my, my biggest uh, project is that I manage for lack of a better word, a project called UAE Architecture, uh, which mm -hmm. is, um, you know, it, it aims to add further research and documentation and development of the built environment in the UAE. And, um, you know, the idea is to advance architectural and planning knowledge in the UAE by anchoring it in the local context. Where do you believe you're making a difference? What are the new initiatives that are actually... Um, you're working on at the moment? So, I mean, I, I'd i say first and foremost, um, mm -hmm. I'm getting to be a part of this architectural and urban renaissance, as I called it before. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this reawakening of an interest in a super cool discipline or field, in my opinion, um, and shining a light yes. on architecture and urbanism of the UAE to both a local and a global audience and doing this by partnering with the right organizations and, um, you know, coming up with really cool 
um, campaigns and projects. You know, I think I'd say the biggest um, um, the biggest project we're doing under the UAE architecture brand, if you want to call it, um, is uh, we're setting up a research institute. Last year, mm-hmm. um, so Zayed University is one of our uh, partners. And last year, they established six research centers. And one of them is the Zayed Institute for Architecture, Heritage and Arts. Um, and the vision and mission of this institute was developed closely with the Ministry of Culture and Knowledge Development. And well, it's ultimately a collaboration between the two entities. And, um, you know, I've been very much involved in that with uh, my colleague uh, from Zayed University. Um, I'll give her a shout out, Associate Professor Adina Hempel. Um, we, <laughs> so the idea of the institute is, you know, to address these three areas of architecture, arts, and heritage and the relationship or intersection um, and, you know, focusing on their role in the UAE in relation to the to the global context. Um, and the idea is that the Institute will produce research, but also aims to develop resources for research and facilitate um, access to research. Um, I, you know, I'd say from personal experience uh, when I was doing my own research, it was always so hard to um, to collect information. And I've heard the sentiment from many other researchers where you're always having to start from scratch and knock on doors and, you know, you're trying to find information. So we'd really um, hope that this institute could facilitate um, access mm-hmm. to resources and, and, and reduce the amount of starting from scratch and running around that needs to be, you know, that needs to happen first before someone can really start on a research project. Um, and I would, what I'd like to also highlight is um, there's a commitment to sharing research and working with the community to connect with the community mm-hmm. so that it's not just focused on academia. Uh, for example, um, last year we uh, did we came out with a book called In Search of Spaces of Coexistence in the UAE, um, An Architect's Journey, which basically traced the journey of our research team, which was composed of photographers, architects, planners, and designers, and, um, you know, traced their journey across the UAE, documenting about, let's say, 40, yeah, there were 40 buildings, um, you could say they were they're like the the hidden gems or the underdogs of architecture. Um, you know, they're you know, they were cultural spaces, recreational spaces, uh, or places of worship. So spaces where people coexist um in the country. And I'd say this set the tone and ignited a passion in others for the kind of research that ought to be coming out of the country. Um, but also while working on this book, we realized that there was a need for dialogue around cultural values that spaces have. So we wanted to extend the conversation and get students and even the community involved by putting together a course that would inspire people, um, not necessarily only architects or anyone that studies the built environment, but really anyone who's interested in spatial narratives, whether it's from an economic angle or political, etc., um, to get to get out there and document. Um, so we put together a pilot course as a collaboration between uh, the ministry and Zayed University that would run in the fall uh, at Zayed University in Dubai with the intention to later make it available as a course through the institute that anyone can take and not just students. 
Um, one last thing I would say uh, that I, mm. I'm so excited about is um, documentation and preservation of the built environment. Um, for the very first time, there's a federal entity that's spearheading this. And I'm so excited that I get to play a huge role in setting the groundwork for this because we've held workshops with local Emirates representatives and community members to debate and discuss initiatives and definitions and strategies and all that. Um, and I was personally involved in the development of a draft uh, description for what we call the architecture and urban heritage of the UAE. And I'm now serving on the UAE uh, Modern Heritage Technical Committee that provides technical expertise and advice to the Heritage Council. And it's just really, it's so exciting. And I'm really proud that I get to represent architecture in this way. Wow. You, you know, what was interesting as you were speaking, I just realized how diverse the faces of architecture and urban planning can be. I didn't realize. And so I just think people who have the expertise sharing so generously about what they do is just one means by which we can all become unlimited, if you see what I mean. What I'd like to ask you now is, how do you see the representation of women in architecture and urban planning in the UAE today? In general, I would say we've come a long way. Um, okay. In the UAE and I'd say globally even, um, uh, in the UAE, since that's what we're talking about, there's slowly been a shift away from this top-down rational planning to an understanding of how humans behave in and use space, and in particular how women, children, and the elderly, and even those with special needs use space. I'm starting mm -hmm. to see that mm -hmm. a lot more. Um, I think, I mean, it's important to recognize women as experts when they talk about uh, the relationship between everyday life and the city, because women are the ones that can transmit the needs of other women and also of children, young people, the elderly uh, with whom they live. Women usually have a better understanding of what goes on in their neighborhood, of the needs of their community and the things that must be done to make it a better place. Um, and that's why I would say women are, you know, central uh, to architecture planning and development, both as key users of urban space, um, you know, in, in their role as home managers or, and, and also in their role as community leaders um, and, neighbor, and initiators of uh, um, neighborhood networks. But I wouldn't say that their role, their role in the field is just about how women navigate urban space, but... I'd say the fields of architecture and planning um, have been have long been known to be male dominated fields. You know, we've come a long way here too. Um, I take pride in the UAE. Um, you know, women here are not only encouraged but they're celebrated, and we're actively uh, participating in policy making and taking on leadership roles. Um, and I'm proud that the UAE recognizes that uh, women's participation and leadership are absolutely necessary for the country to succeed. So, yeah, we've come a really long way, I would say. Serene, you seem to have a lot on your plate um, with your roles um, that are linked with architecture and urban planning, working for the UAE government. Um, are there other things that you also do in terms of... Um, so I... Uh, <laughs> I add to my list being an entrepreneur <laughs> um, and, mm -hmm. you know, I, 
I I got the buildings and I got the cities, but I also now <laughs> plugged in the interior spaces. I got it all, <laughs> pulled it all together, the Beautiful. whole circle, um, the, the whole nice. trifecta. Um, you know, I've, I, mm-hmm. I always loved interior design and, you know, I'd go back again to my childhood. I, I seem to really know what I liked <laughs> or still like. My mm-hmm. my bedroom was mm-hmm. my experimentation space. I, you know, I've done everything you can possibly imagine with it from painting the walls blue to upcycling furniture. I was like, what, 11, 12 years old and mm-hmm. onwards and, you know, custom built headboards mm-hmm. and bed sheets sewn out of fabrics that I find in the market and Anyway, I start, I studied architecture when I went to uh, university. And of course, my apartment in Berkeley suffered the same fate. <laughs> Every other week, I'd move furniture <laughs> around. Um, anyway, so although I pivoted to urban planning uh, for my master's and PhD, I always knew that I would use my architecture skills, um, you know, in, in interiors as well. Um, I lived in San Jose for like, a very short while with my best friend who was a chiropractor. She was um, uh, mm-hmm. studying to become a chiropractor at one of the best uh, uh, universities in the, U- the U.S. Uh, for chiropractic. And when she's also from, you know, she lived, we grew up together. Um, she lived in Abu Dhabi as well and um, went to undergrad in Toronto and then moved to California and we lived together and caught up and all that and when she moved back to Dubai she was planning to open her clinic and she asked me to design it for her and I have to say that that was such an incredible experience um you know I not just the fact that it was my best friend and I'm like so excited to help her start her new you know her business and her new life and all that but it was a chance to really turn the um the clinic world um around in the UAE in terms of the experience of a patient the 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 healing begins Uh, as soon as you walk in and this goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier that spaces Mm. have such an influence on how people feel you know and And so we Mm -hmm. you know the design was very cozy and very homey and had this very California vibe to it and it got a lot of interest uh, by word of mouth and people started you know that were visiting the Mm. clinic would ask her who designed it and so you know she'd refer them to me and um, at the time it just made sense to turn this into a full-fledged business so uh, my husband Arsalan and I decided to go for it and with his background in visual communications mm-hmm. and fine arts and his years of experience working on multi-billion uh, dollar projects in the government of Abu Dhabi and Marcoms and um, branding like he so he took on the managing director role and uh, I of course took on the creative director mm-hmm. role and it was so cool. Like we got to work on mm. wonderful projects, both residential and commercial. And uh, we worked, you know, with amazing clients whose projects, visions are so aligned with our values. And um, like Zayanurai Island, for example, um, mm. which is an island off of the coast of Abu Dhabi, which is sort of like the Maldives and body trees too. You know, we turned it into this little boho mm. haven and the body tree studio is another one that I love very much. And, it's a wellness studio and nearly it's just been a really magical journey getting involved in, 
you know, the commercial spaces and the residential spaces, uh, making them havens for people, like their their place to feel like themselves. That that's fascinating. Um, do you work only in the UAE, or do you also? Uh, we've had projects in Goa and in Kuwait and in Bahrain. So you know, some may look at you and marvel at all you've accomplished, right? And we often forget that success is the result of a journey. Yeah. Um, it sounds so impressive, but was it all seamless and smooth, or did you face any challenges during your your journey? Also. Um, I'd love you to share any episode that truly forged the dream we know today. I love the saying that obstacles are a detour in the right direction. That's how I now view challenges. Like every time there was something in my life that I viewed as horrible or hurtful at the time was actually a message that I needed to receive and learn from. I really believe that. But it took a lot of inner work to get to this acceptance. Mm. At first, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to bring it up again because I'd moved past it. And, you know, it was a huge Mm. lesson for me and will always be one of those significant markers in my life that I feel transformed me. But now I have a different relationship with the story and I'm actually grateful that I experienced it. And maybe by sharing it, I could hopefully inspire someone else. So when I first got accepted to the PhD program, you know, I was one of only five in the cohort. I was, you know, from what I had known before is that the previous cohort had about 12 people. So already being one of five felt like a huge accomplishment. Uh, and I was living in LA at the time. And I flew up to Berkeley to meet my uh, my advisors. I had two co-advisors. So one of them actually... It's cool because she, I mean, serendipity, it's awesome. She, or synchronicity, whatever we believe in. She actually worked on the plan for Abu Dhabi 2030 back in the day. But yeah, so that was really cool. I got to work with her. And then I had another professor who was on, you know, who was supposed to be a co-advisor. And the first meeting I had with him, he told me (laughs) um, verbatim, that I was a gamble mm-hmm. and that he had fought for me to get into the program. I didn't, you know, I barely even knew this guy mm-hmm. and that I had a lot to prove. Obviously that was not a re- the way I wanted to start the program. Um, mm-hmm. And when I started in the fall, he also like already from the first week was, uh, he didn't agree with my choice of classes. He had a plan for me and, you know, he didn't, I don't think he really liked that I acted autonomously, but I was a PhD student. I have free will. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And I wasn't about to get bullied on top of this overwhelming feeling of insecurity mm. that I had allowed into my psyche. Mm. So I wrote him an email mm. and said, you know what? Thank you, but let's just go our separate ways. But, you know, although I did that to protect myself and, and you know, set my boundaries, it, it definitely... Uh, affected me a lot. Uh, I felt like a failure. You know, all of the quote-unquote smart students were part of the circle with him and some other, um, I guess, renowned professors. And 
yeah, it was, it's funny actually, his, his wife at the time had actually emailed me. She was one of the professors there as well. She had emailed me and asked me to drop her class because it was a theory class that she didn't feel I belonged in. Ooh. And it, <laughs> it just, you know, it felt weird. It was like taking, you know, she was one of those professors I really admired and really looked up to. And it was like, taking an acting class with the way that I say it is it was like taking an acting class with Meryl Streep and Meryl Streep telling you to unregister <laughs> I was like oh my god oh. I was so crushed and so I was heartbroken and I was doubting myself and my abilities and you know honestly his words consumed me for the entire time that I was going through the PhD I was a rack feeling like a fraud, feeling completely unworthy, mm. not good enough, you know, like those feelings of inadequacy. And yeah, I was definitely feeling my think thinking throughout the PhD program. And mm. it was eating me up to the point that I was having regular panic attacks. And I got so depressed, I was hardly leaving the house. So, I mean, I'm laughing now as I tell the story, as I said, I, I've learned mm. I, what I needed to learn from this. But you know, in hindsight, I know that the intensity of what I was feeling was connected to a huge trigger and that life has this wonderful way of uh, having challenges show up in your life again and again until you learn the lesson. And without a doubt, I yes. can say that my lesson was one in self-love and believing in myself and to heal I had to move through the feelings and the patterns and the story and walk myself to a different ending. Um, you know, it was all, it was clearly a manifestation of a deeper problem and I had to go inward. Um, you know, what heals is self-love, uh, as cheesy as that might sound. But Michael Singer uh, wrote this book that I just read recently. It's called The Surrender Experiment. And there's a quote mm -hmm. in there that I liked. He said, one should raise the self with self, not trample down the self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was thinking, like, I was beating myself up so much instead of being my own best friend. You know, I think about it now and I'm like, was I insane? You can't expect anyone to know your worth if you don't know it for yourself. And that was a huge lesson mm -hmm. for me, really. Wow. Um, the way I see it also is basically these are spurs and they will either spur you on to say oh i i know my worth i'm going to show this i'm going to even do better than i'm you know like a, like a sort of um, a prompt of sorts or they will crush you and there's this japanese art form um in which breaks and repairs are treated as a part of the object's history mm -hmm. right so broken ceramics are actually carefully mended by artisans um with a lacquer risen mixed with powdered gold, silver, or yeah. platinum. So this repairs actually remain visible, yet somehow very beautiful. And it's called Kintsugi. My Japanese accent is absolutely horrible, I'm sure. <laughs> but it means golden joinery. And the reason why I bring this up is because we often try to hide stories that we feel make us look mm -hmm. weak, stories we feel ashamed of, stories in which we believe we failed, to live up to the expectations of others or even ourselves. And what we forget is that these stories are part of who we are mm -hmm. and that we need to love those stories too because they are tremendous sources of wisdom and growth. 
which have contributed to the version of ourselves we are today that everybody loves so much, <laughs> hopefully ourselves too. And in fact, you know, all that we've been through need not be ugly. It really depends on us. Yeah. You know, we may decide to allow through all those cracks, light shine through and illuminate the world, or we can paint ourselves with the golden threads of wisdom and become an inspiration to others. So what I'm going to say is you've obviously done this. Thank, thank you, you bless. so much for sharing that story. Thank Reed. you. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's so beautiful. Thank you. Now, speaking of connection, um, I'd like to talk about yeah. motherhood. This is a huge, 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 vast topic and can take on so many forms, as you can imagine. Um, what I'd like to know, though, is how did becoming a mother impact your life and career? What an initiation it is to become a mother. I am in really, I'm in absolute mm. awe. Uh, really, it's like mm. one of those things like you really don't know what you don't know. You know, it's like, oh, my yes. God. Until you go through it. Yeah. Um, so back to your mm. question, how has it impacted mm. my life and career? And I mean, so I had my, my child two years ago, uh, my daughter, Isla. And um, sh- side note, it means halo of light around the moon. I'm obsessed with the moon. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. So in Arabic, um, oh, there is wow. a saying that mm. uh, children bring their they bring rizq with them and rizq is like fortune almost um or good mm. fortune with them and you know that totally mm. happened to me um i was a week away from going back to work after maternity leave and uh, i got a phone call mm. from the ministry of culture and knowledge development i wasn't with them at the time i was with another entity and um so they had this huge project that they wanted me to manage. And I said, yes, without hesitation. And I was incredibly excited because I was, you know, I was about to work on something I was super passionate about. And, but now, you know, I just finished maternity leave and I'm about to go back to work, but I'm going back to work in a totally different way than I was used to. My early mornings we're now, okay, let's wake up early. And, you know, I have, I, my daughter wakes up, obviously, and I wake up with her and, you know, I'm juggling my time with her and getting ready for work. And then um, I'd come home and spend some time with her and then have to jump right into managing this business that I own with my husband, uh, an, an interior design consultancy called The Native Bohemians. And I think, um, you know, it, it just it felt like I had a lot on my plate and hardly enough time for myself. Mm-hmm. Like we, some nights, like we would, keep working until about midnight and I'd sleep and wake up with, you know, my, my daughter, you know, whatever <laughs> times in the, in the evening, in the night, in the middle of the night. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes I'd be up at four or five and then start my, my work day. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was crazy. And to be honest, there were times I hit a wall, you know, at, at some mm-hmm. point when, when we had, uh, Isla, my husband took on, uh, the role of stay at home dad for a little while. And, you know, we didn't really have any help mm-hmm. and I'm sure it wasn't easy for him either. He's, he, he's a saint. Um, you know, he, when, when I'd come home from work, uh, you know, he had, was managing the household as well. And really he was my hero. We were both so exhausted. And then, you know, on top of that, like I felt a little bit lost, um, you know, childbirth changes your body and I wasn't mm-hmm. feeling like my best self. Mm-hmm. And instead of thanking my mm-hmm. body, this like 
temple, this divine vessel. Um, mm-hmm. I was feeling so insecure. Mm-hmm. And what I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, it felt like I had so little time and I could hardly do anything about it. But, you know, and a lot of times like it was mom guilt. It's like uh, when I'm not working, I should be spending time with my daughter. And, you know, it was mm-hmm. it was so hard. But I realized at some point that this guilt wasn't serving me. And, um, you know, I worked to get over it and realized that, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I when I was hanging out with her, I started to realize that I'm feeling completely depleted and the quality of my hanging out with her wasn't so good. I'd be distracted or feeling emotional or frustrated. And kids feel these things, you know, and you know, they, they vibe to your vibe. And, you know, I didn't need to mm-hmm. pretend to be perfect. She could sense that something was off. And mm-hmm. I just, I realized like mm-hmm. kids, they need a mom who loves herself and takes care of herself and a mom who sets her boundaries and who can represent joy and inner strength and, you know, can show them what it's like to save oneself. I think that's one of the most important lessons you can teach your child, in my opinion. It's that this is how you raise a resilient child by setting that kind of example. So I'd say that motherhood taught me that I have to carve time out for myself and that being selfish and selfless are terrible words. I hate those words. And the best thing you can do for yourself Mm -hmm. is center yourself. Um, You know, the the Mm -hmm. word spiritual, you know, is it's all about maintaining my spirit and making that a ritual. And, and, you know, I, I, I really love this idea that you have to fill, you know, the, the, to filling your body with light and calling your energy back and releasing old energy and setting energy boundaries should be a daily practice like showering and getting dressed, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Yes, and, um, that's right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, this is the greatest impact that motherhood has had on me in both my life and career. So may I start by saying, it almost seems to me that I'm hearing that in fact motherhood has helped you find oh, 100%. yourself. 100%. It's interesting because what happens in many cases is that people... So I lost myself and then I found myself. Exactly. So th- thank you for being, thank you for saying that though, because I think people need to hear this. Nobody's perfect. And the beauty of it is no matter where you are right now, whether you've lost yourself or not, is that there's a possibility to find oneself. You mentioned center, finding your center. So is that your secret to managing everything? And how exactly do you as a person find your center? Uh, yeah, I guess that is my secret. Not so much a secret anymore. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, it goes back to what I was just talking about, that alone time is so mm-hmm. important to fill back okay. up. I realize that I have a tendency mm-hmm. to spiral out of control if I don't allow myself some time to just be and you know when my husband and I first met I he used to get so frustrated with me it's like an inside joke right now like I always used to tell him I just want to be and be like what does that mean be what (laughs) I'm like just be (laughs) be what (laughs) we still laugh about it to this day um but yeah I mean I I once read somewhere that uh, you know I I'm I'm quoting things because you can tell it's because I like to read a lot but I once read somewhere that Mm -hmm. life gives you plenty of time Mm -hmm. to do whatever you want to do, if you stay in the present moment. And, you know, you hear this and you read about this um, from spiritual leaders and the greatest thinkers of all time. And, 
you know, this idea that the present moment is all we ever have. So I actively practice being in the present moment. You know, that's how I find my center. I, I want to find the present moment by, you know, I try through meditation, uh, gratitude journaling. I do regular check-ins with myself throughout mm-hmm. the day. Like literally I, I stop and check in with myself and with my feelings and I slow down, I breathe, I go on walks, uh, mm-hmm. bike rides, I admire nature and I watch clouds passing in the sky. Like I really, really take it all in. Um, I feel the sun on my skin. I do yoga because, you know, it's it's all about energy. That's what I believe. And I believe that when I feel good, everything aligns. Wow. So that sounded like you are one of the most mindful people I've heard of. I mean, all those little things you're mentioning would seem quite banal, but how many people stop? And look at the sky, the clouds, the birds, listen to them, look at flowers and admire their geometry. And that is really part of of living, isn't it? Truly living, not just existing. Um, And another thing I'd like to add is you you talked about center. Hmm. I think what's important for everybody is you said, I want to be, and I get you when you say that, because... Um, although many people may not know this, I am an introvert in the sense that when I need energy, mm-hmm. I need to be by myself. I, I, I need to go in to get energy. Um, but some people need to be around people yeah. to, you know, to get that energy. And so everybody needs to find their center. But by all means, find it. Because if we do not find our centers, I, I don't see how we can flow and I think what's, what that also gives you is probably the ability and the confidence to be your version of you mm-hmm. and not try to be anybody mm-hmm. else's version, um, which we, we would always fail at anyway. Yeah. I think Oscar Wilde said um, something about not all the other, ver- everybody else in the, in the world is taken yeah. to just be yeah. you, basically. It's just, you know, you can't yeah. be anybody else. And yeah. if you tried, you will fail. Um, so thank you for sharing how you are centered. And I'm sure it will inspire many people. And I hope each one that's listening looks for how they can be centered. And another tip I'm going to give is you said how you stop during the day to check in with yourself. And there is this expression, which I heard a few years ago, which I love, which is stop, breathe mm-hmm. and be imagine you're having a moment let's call it that just to say pause a few breaths and then you can be continue but um we've all been in those situations where we just yeah. want to scream yeah <laughs> yeah pull our hair out. yeah totally i've been there i mean oh. you know i i actually wanted to add something that i that i do that i think is a bit quirky but i'll share mm-hmm. um yeah sure i think it also goes back to the fact that i love stories and i've always been into storytelling mm. and and reading you know all these amazing narratives and i always <laughs> imagine myself as a character in this story mm-hmm. called life and I really, mm. when I, when I go, th- when I go through my day, I'm always thinking like, what is the greatest adventure I can have today that would make for a really cool storyline, you know? And I'm, 
that's how I try to work through having a bad day and turning things around is making sure that um, when I look back, you know, whether it's at my journal or if I just look back in my, like at my life, uh, just one day, I'm, mm. I'm proud of the person uh, or the character that I wrote about. Beautiful. So you are the character yeah. and you're the director. <laughs> And I think everybody needs yes. to hear that. And we need to pause and hear that because we we all, we sometimes fall yeah. into victim mode, don't we're we? We're human. This happened, this happened. Yeah. We're human, exactly. However, even a victim, but a director can turn into yeah. a hero, basically. So as long as we're aware that even, even in that victim mode, we're choosing to be there, yeah. that's cool. Because we still have our power yeah. as long as we're choosing. And that's a nice tip, I think. That's a nice tip. How would I like to write about this? How would I like mm-hmm. people to write about me? So not so crazy, <laughs> Reem. Not so crazy. <laughs> nice one. Very, very nice. So, Reem, um, do you have a message to all unlimited women and mothers out there? And another thing is, what does unlimited mean to you? So, unlimited for me, means that there are limitless possibilities. These possibilities Mm -hmm. already exist. It's just Mm -hmm. by putting your attention on any one of these possibilities is how you would actually experience that reality. So there's no right or wrong. I know for me, I, I, I had to learn this um, because I'm, I, I, I used to feel like I was so afraid to make a decision because, oh my God, what if it's the wrong decision? Mm-hmm. But really there's no right or wrong decision. There is only an experience and you get to mm-hmm. choose what reality you want to experience. So my message is knowing this, wouldn't you choose the best possible scenario, the most enthralling, adventurous, and wonderful experience there could possibly be. That's my message. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I love it. That, that's, that's, that's a nice message. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very beautiful message. All right. So, um, Reem, it's been absolutely awesome. And I use that word deliberately, oh. speaking with you today. Um, I'm sure that the ladies or whoever is listening to this podcast um, will find many, many pearls of wisdom that can be used going forwards in navigating the mm-hmm. story we call life <laughs> um, and helping in making, I don't want to say better choices, but yeah. more conscious choices, whatever they may be. Um, and I'm sure that every single listener of Unlimited today would love to thank you and will definitely say that they have at least been inspired by at least one thing Bless. you said. So thank you so much. Thank you thank so you much. Very thank much. you so much for having me and God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope you found it inspiring and fulfilling. Please subscribe to Unlimited on your favorite podcast app so you won't miss out on our next stories. To learn more about our content, 
please log on to our website and follow us at unlimited.me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and help us building a truly unlimited community. Thank you.